Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 179 with Anders Buck and Brandon Jones. Sovereignty Supreme. Join the team as we discuss the ins and outs of the concept of sovereignty amongst many things. What is it? How do we wield it? What is it all about? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you once again, Raf. What up, you guys? So um, at the beginning of these episodes, we tend to correlate with the um, cards. Raphael is going to do Galactic Heritage, but for the major arcana of this episode, it's the strength card, the Leo card. It says, I face my fears with the strength of love and patience. It's about trusting yourself, letting your inner endurance shine, using your power to embrace the amazing person within. You have everything within you you need to succeed. Raphael, what is that Galactic Heritage card? We arrive at number 71, Vega, homing beacon, future timeline. In the ancient days, the vegan mystics developed their practices as a way to always connect with the source or home, using them as a homing beacon. Eventually, they no longer needed spiritual technology or spiritual processes to make this connection. They felt the source within them at all times. You too have this ability deep within you. Learn to quiet the mind through breathing or meditation and then just let go. As you trust in your practice, the feeling of connectedness to the source will grow and grow until it permeates every part of your life. If you need help, ask the ancient vegan mystics to assist you. So, Brendan and Anders, I'm curious, uh, between the strength card and that vegan, uh, vegan um, card, what resonated? Jai Nersinga Dave. Jai, Jai Nersinga Dave. Absolute everything. Yeah, the Leo card is uh, uh, the sign Leo is a manifestation of uh, Nersinga or Nirsimha, half man, half lion incarnation. Uh, he is our strength, he is our spiritual protector, and he lives inside of every one of our hearts. So uh, when we connect with that, we're always connecting with the Supreme. That's what's up. Anders, go ahead. No, I was just um, contemplating this, the, the deep truth of these cards and how magnificent it is that they always tend to hit a note <laughs> for me, actually, because I've just returned to this um, center meditation. I've been meditating for a long period of my life, way back in the spiritual 80s, but kind of left it behind and now I'm kind of uh, you know, searching back into this inner place of calm because the outer world is just so insane. I need my inner quiet space. Well, it's interesting to me because they're kind of juxtaposed in the sense that the strength card um, in the Rider weight shows a woman holding the lion's mouth open, which is kind of representative of the lower nature. It's like you can have the grace to overcome your primitive self or your ego or however you want to put this, your lusts. Um, but it's all about like uh, power, right? And kind of like obvious strength um, and kind of showing what's up. Whereas the um, Vegan card, the Beacon Home was talking more about like kind of submitting to the flow, um, still going to that inner strength, but in a very different way, uh, less trying to like wrestle the alligator, so to speak. 
uh, and more kind of just um, tapping into the, you know, unity consciousness or however one wants to put that. Rafael, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, it can always be seen as an opposition or it can be seen as part of the same process. Uh, you know, it's usually both. And, you know, oftentimes Gnostics, I guess they say, you know, the truth is somewhere between uh, the poles and so on. So, um, yeah, for me, uh, I would say but there is a time for both approaches in terms of one's own perception. And then eventually one just, you know, recognizes these different tools and settles on their, you know, personal favorite style, I guess. Well, the reason I kind of brought it up is because if this is going to be about sovereignty and all that it might entail, on one hand, strength card is very much personal, powerful sovereignty with like the will of action or something like that, where it's like, I will make this work um, and I will take control. Yeah, one one could like also that. say, I mean, guys, you talk more about this, Anders and uh, Brandon, but I would say, how about the idea surrendering to the supreme authority of yourself? Absolutely. And I think that the strength card as um, as I was kind of trying to picture before when I said this thing about the, the, the New Age movement in the 80s, which was, you know, a lot of outward going energy in terms of manifesting yourself as this bright light uh, in the outer world, which it was not really about connecting inward, whereas the situation in the world today really requires, if you want true sovereignty, that you enact your will to become sovereign, which is, as I see it, both an inwards uh, pull into the divine, and it's also a manifestation outward going into the world of insanity, the light that you have found within yourself. So it kind of becomes this the inner world becomes your outer world and the outer world becomes your inner world kind of thing. And, you know, I think there was a famous guy who said that once. That's what's up. Yeah. I mean, I was not saying it's like a, they were juxtaposed, not in a, I mean, in a paradoxical sense in a way, these cards, but like, yeah, like you're saying, there's a, uh, um, <laughs> control influence however one wants to put that kind of level of it and then with the strength card and then there's kind of a uh, submit to that which is and be thankful for it go back to the heart of the eternal now or whatever kind of thing with the beacon home but we don't have to do all this forever uh how you guys doing it's been a while since i talked to you either of you oh just great uh Moved. Hold it down in, in America. I know yeah. right oh, now yeah. we're both Americans. They're both Europeans. So I'm like, it's kind of crazy right now over here, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, I was up late last night talking with a few colleagues about the election and just how corrupt it is right now, just how compromised it is. And uh, it was something I have been talking to my brother about this past week or so about um, this election is going to expose actually how faulty the democratic system really is. Because of this kind of, especially people here in America, we've been programmed and brainwashed to think that democracy and like uh, this kind of like mob rule mentality is like the best kind of uh, best kind of government, as opposed to like maybe an oligarchy or a uh, or a monarchy or or any kind of central authority figure. Um, but this is clearly showing that uh, most people don't actually know what's good for themselves. You know, we got a lot of people rooting for people, for for candidates that, you know, have been shown time and time again to 
behave in a self-centered manner and even use criminal activity to propagate their own uh, power grabs. So this this election is showing us firsthand that maybe it's not such a good idea that we be given all these uh, illusory choices of who we put into power. Uh, rather, we should be more focused on how we're actually building our own community and how we are ab uh, better able to uh, assist our neighbor rather than someone we only know from a television screen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I watch the, the American elections, one thing that really pops into my mind or awareness is, again, if, if we should draw the parallel to the sovereignty uh, issue, it's maybe time that the, you know, average Joe started asking himself, who do we really follow? Because we have, as you said, we have been um, completely brainwashed into believing that we have to follow an external authority figure because that's the only real uh, path uh, in this world which is you know an absolute lie so again turning it back to sovereignty maybe it's a beautiful way of illustrating for everyone to see that following others and they might be crazy, uh, power-hungry uh, Satanists, or they might be honorable uh, politicians wanting to, you know, change things for the better. It's not really the point. The point being that maybe it's time we start asking ourselves, is this the right way for humanity, that we follow leaders, or is there another path? This gets really quickly into presuppositions. Um, I'm of the kind of, uh, having just read the Celestine Prophecy and the sequel, there's four books in this thing. I've read it before, but I read it with my fiance. Um, it's interesting because there seems to be an evolutionary dynamic where, um, like I said, presuppositions come in quickly. Were we always able to govern ourselves and, or you know, were humans at some level like externalizing things to Brahmin classes in Hinduism or, um, you know, pharaohs in egypt or whatever how functionally necessary were these steps um just kind of like you know a five-year-old is its own thing or a three-year-old child is their own personage in a sense but they're very much dependent uh, at a level on the provision of others and just the hierarchy of needs uh being met um through the family um but then at some well, point they start individuating and you know start really kind of not i mean in america it's like the 18 year old kind of official mark but at some point like you can provide for yourself uh you're able to make your own mistakes or your own positive choices and it won't be a direct reflection on the um kind of entrenchment of the situation I, like i said it depends some people think you know we've always been you know william wallace freedom let freedom ring kind of always and we've been duped into systems uh collectivism seems to work at a level uh, rugged individualism simultaneously is real, so we're sovereign individuals, but we're in collectives necessarily. Uh, whether it's you know everybody has a mother, put it that way. Um, so I mean, at the very least. So uh, yeah, interesting kind of situation because it feels like we're maybe for the past few hundred years. I mean, the whole thing with World War II was like nation states, and the thing we've been playing around for you know a while is like these things being ethnic and geographic kind of. Um, differentiations and now maybe we're starting to especially with the internet age uh, we're starting to see beyond flags right or accents uh, or monetary exchange rates or whatever and we're starting to see ourselves hopefully i mean it's not everybody doing this but we're kind of hitting a speed bump where 
I think a choice is being made, it seems, where you can either rise up in your own power and respect yourself and others, or you're going to fall back or stay stay the course on the infantile kind of mode. We're, we're getting an opportunity, it seems, to grow up as a species. Couldn't agree more. Well, if you guys agree, I would read about three paragraphs of an essay I wrote eight years ago. Uh, Time capsule essay. It's entitled The Hierarchical Principle, and I'd read two, three paragraphs from the sections The State, Illusion of Control, and Hegelian Dialectic, as well as The Lock and Key of Hierarchy, the Human Mind. If you guys are interested, I'd be so reading synchronistic. Brandon, your vote. Was I think it's Hegelian for the record. I think it's Hegel was the uh, philosopher. Oh, thank you. Anyway. Uh, yeah, sure, read it. I'm, I'm just writing some points down. Oh, great. All right, so here we go. Uh, the state illusion of control and Hegelian dialectic. The hierarchical structure of... Oh, yeah, and Brandon, in this case, kindly mute yourself because it seems you're on voice activation. Thank you. Uh, the state illusion of control and Hegelian dialectic. The hierarchical structure of the state provides a good... A good case study for understanding the mechanism of control. The citizens are led to believe that their interests are preserved by the modern democratic state. That belief is so fundamental that they allow the state to even exercise the monopoly of coercion. Its proper use shall be established through the separation of powers and various controlling institutions. Many continue to believe that an independent judiciary system ensures that the rule of law is up upheld. Without deeper questioning of the purpose of law and the idea of positive law in particular, the impossibility of the modern state to serve the interest of its people can be shown on mere technical grounds. Whether they are official political parties or secret fraternal organizations, there are plenty of interest groups which conspire in pursuit of expanding their power, obviously transcending any official separation of power within the state. While there is no reason to assume that the supervisory bodies remain untouched by political power play, it would still be impossible for them to successfully control the different elements of government due to Ashby's law of requisite variety. Quote, the larger the variety of actions available to a control system, the larger the variety of perturbations it is able to compensate. This means you're only able to completely control the system if you're able to have it controlled by a system that is at least equally variable. For a large and complex system, such as a state, the only feasible method would thus be self-control. However, no incentive for self-control exists within the hierarchical principle upon which the modern state is based. It should not be forgotten that the primordial promise of the state is the protection of its citizens and upholding public order. While anthropologists and historians speculate about the reasons for the rise of hierarchically organized societies, the modern state needs to constantly reaffirm that it is required to ensure safety and order. The same reasoning also serves as an excuse to extend its control over its citizens in times of severe crisis and disorder. Well, problem, reaction, solution. Uh, here we are. So that would be one part. I'd let you comment and then just read one more paragraph. That is uh, exactly in line with uh, the understanding that we have of the spiritual world 
versus the material world that we find ourselves in. Because, you know, especially when we talk about like thermodynamics and we talk about uh, systems and the behavior of systems, uh, as you were saying before, uh, something very complex can only be controlled by an entity or an intelligence that is equally as complex. So therefore, um, when it comes to big governments, uh, especially today, we have a big problem because we have a very large, complex government system, but the personalities that are running the system are not up to par in terms of the intelligence standard needed to control the property. So we have two options. We can either uh, upgrade the personality that we have uh, running the show, or we can scale down the complexity of the government structure. And right now, due to the, us being in Kali Yuga, there is nobody qualified to be able to handle such a complex system that we've created. So we have to downscale it. And we need to bring it back down to having local communities be the focus of uh, government, at least for the individual. And then the larger administrative class help manage those local communities rather than trying to micromanage everything and everything be done through central planning, like we see in the financial sector, especially. So, you know, the essay is right on point. It's hitting right on with the metaphysical principles. Let me just add a, a thought to that. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Brandon. Um, I think that's exactly what's happening and the mechanism of, of it. Uh, what I would like to add is that if, if we see it as, um, as a structure, as a mechanism or a machine even, I think that... Uh, the system that we have in place now run by the elites, it's like um, um, an engine that runs on gasoline. And it needs fuel to, and it needs constant movement. It cannot stop because if it stops, it completely breaks down. And that's the impurity or the imperfection of the system. It needs to consume everything in order to stay in movement. And we can see, you, you mentioned the, the private law system, Raphael, that's kind of my speciality. And within the private law system, they have this, they have to initiate new rules and regulations every year in the hundreds. And why? Because it's black magic. It's like uh, curses that are thrown out and if they are not renewed, their magic disappears. And the same goes for the system itself it needs the fuel of the artificial monetary system that is running so i couldn't agree more that we have to return to a kind of implosion engine that kind of when you find the right frequency as tesla would have put it or resonance it just resonates with the universe with mother nature with the natural laws of the universe and it just runs by itself and I think that's that's a kind of analogy we could put into play here as well. Yeah, I'd like to say we actually got technology in that direction. There is something called Blockheitskraftwerk by GWE Technology. This was a German company. At least in German interviews are available. They have incredibly efficient tech. A very interesting story by now. And it was proven in front of a court or not a court, but a notary or something that this actually works. And funnily enough, uh, when they kind of got raided initially, apparently the Secret Service wanted to include their technology with an offshore wind power company. 
So, you know, uh, anyone, anyone may have their own thoughts about this. I just want to say the tech is here. Also, there's another German company called Neutrino Energy, which apparently through something called atomic resonance of carbon atoms, they are basically able to collect an energy that to us is unseen, but is abundantly available. And of course, there may be many, many more technologies. I just wanted to point out like there is actual, you know, research and th things done and proven to work. So then just to provide somewhat more fuel, just one paragraph to kind of, you know, um, in a sense, finish this up, though it's not really the end of the essay, but relates back to this Ashby's law. <clears throat> the lock and key of hierarchy, the human mind. Given what we understand about Ashby's law, that a complex entity can only be completely controlled by another entity of equal or greater complexity, how can hierarchical organizations successfully control humans to such a great extent? Manley Palmer Hall, one of the greatest scholars of the occult living in the 20th century, elaborates, quote, To repress rebellion is to maintain the status quo, a condition which binds the mortal creature in a state of intellectual or physical slavery. But it is impossible to chain man merely by slaving his body. The mind also must be held, and to accomplish this, fear is the accepted weapon. The common man must fear life, fear death, fear God, fear the devil, and fear most the overlords, the keepers of his destiny. We have discussed different methods by which the public shall remain confused and ignorant to prevent such a revolution, not of superficial change, but of organizing principle. The transcendentalist Henry David Thoreau, incidentally talking about slavery, makes this keen observation, quote, It is hard to have a southern overseer. It is worse to have a northern one, but worst of all, when you are the slave driver yourself. See how he covers and sneaks, how vaguely all the day he fears, not being immortal nor divine, but the slave and prisoner of his own opinion of himself, a fame won by his own deeds. Public opinion is a weak tyrant compared with our own private opinion. What a man thinks of himself, that it is which determines or rather indicates his fate. So I just want to, I'm not going to play the devil's advocate completely, but just a few things that are coming to mind. Um, I don't know if anything doesn't exist in a hierarchical nature at a level, but there's heterarchy, which are things organizing together. Um, even Manly P. Hall is in a Freemasonic order or whatever with degrees. Uh, and it is coming from a time when I think people were coming from a certain collectivist naivete maybe and individuating at a certain level but that kind of like um and randish like the individual is sovereign at the expense of the opinions of the collective has led to the postmodern dilemma we're in now where everybody's kind of in their own universe nobody knows really know how to agree and we're all kind just of just briefly is yeah. that really true or isn't that just a more fragmented fractalized version of groupthink because that's what it more looks like to me it doesn't really look like independent sovereignty and truly how do you say iconoclastic tastes or something I mean, what do you guys think? Well, you know, according to Shastra, it's actually a fact that no entity is actually completely independent. We are completely dependent on the Supreme Personality. So uh, the, the idea that we can be fully independent from anything, even if we just observe the natural world, is a complete farce. You know, I am completely dependent on the relationship between myself and these trees. If these trees stop giving off the necessary oxygen for me to live, you know, I surely will die. So 
there's no way for me to actually be independent in the true sense. But we do have a willing faculty. We do have the ability to think, feel, and will. And that uh, shows us that life is actually a synthesis of karma and destiny. There are certain things that are already written within our uh, in our path that was not determined by us, but but determined by the higher forces. Again, implying a hierarchical nature, which is also everywhere in nature. Everything in this material universe is hierarchical, and uh, to know where we fit into that and how we choose to express ourselves in that position—that's actual freedom. You know. Uh, what we understand as love, love implies some sort of will, some sort of voluntary service. It's not just a robotic mechanism. So we have some independence, but it's small. You know, I can't decide to go out and ignore gravity today. You know, that those are some of those things I can't choose. But uh, how I choose to flow through the rules of the game, you know, that is up to me. Just like for example, I'm a basketball player. I love playing basketball. Uh, how you play the game, you have many different ways you can do it. You can be, you know, hitting them low, low in the post. You can be dribbling up. You can be shooting a lot. You could be playing deep. You know, there's many ways that you can express yourself in the game. But everybody is, they have to follow the same rules. You know, everybody is the same in the sense that they're all players on the court and they have to play the same to the same rule set. So uh, for humanity, it, I would agree, actually, it's become a big problem that we've really hit hard this illusion of total independence. Uh, we actually require that people uh, fit within their own designated niche so that everything runs correctly. I'm going to run it back to a government standpoint and how we look at it through legal sovereignty is that in reality, we do need a leadership class. We need, just like we need a captain on a ship, the captain is dependent on his crew to be able to fulfill his instructions because he knows how to read the map. He knows how to read to navigate the stars and get to the desired destination. But he is dependent on his crewmates to be able to fulfill the menial tasks to get the ship physically to the destination. And so in the same way, that is how the society is supposed to be structured. We need a, we need, we do need a working class. We need skilled people in different avenues of, of work to be able to fulfill uh, the kind of needs that are required for a human civilization. We need people to make food. We need people to build buildings. We need people to teach our children. We need people to play these roles. And then we need, a, we need an administrative class to be able to designate where these people should go, where the resources should be allocated for the purpose of maintaining the happiness and the status quo of the people. Right now, our administrative class's purpose and incentive is to profit off of the people's work. So they're actually businessmen disguised as administrators. So we have to fix that. And then the most important part is we need to have a class of people that actually possess the knowledge of the spiritual realm as well as the material realm. And they need to be the ones directing and advising the administrative class and everything that they do. The administrative class should not be the ones making their own decisions. They should constantly be consulting the rishis, the seers, the ones who have the spiritual potency, who have the knowledge. 
that is what society uh, needs to lean towards if we want to live a happy, peaceful life. Because we're not going to find it in technology. All of these te technological advancements, while they are useful and they are uh, they can help us, they require a user. They require uh, someone to operate these machines. And so the real question isn't rather what is the status of my machine and what is the status of these mechanisms, what material is it made out of, but who is directing the machine? Government is one of the more mental, subtle machines, and then we have actual physical technology. But regardless of what the mechanism is, it needs an operator. So the reality of the world is that the material world is being operated by the supreme spiritual operator. And then on when we we understand that this universe is like a fractal. So all of us, all of us individuals, we're a part of that supreme being. So we also possess the same operative qualities, the same free will uh, to a certain degree. And so how we choose to operate our machine and how we choose to operate our machine in relation to our local community, that is really what sovereignty is all about. Being able to know what our identity is and being able to move as a soul, like as a living, as a breathing, as a conscious being that's operating this human machine for an allotted period of time. That's actually what's, that's called the Varnashram Dharma system. It's a, it's a system of living that life is actually so good that all the conditions in material life are so well thought out and so well uh, executed that we realize that we're still not completely satisfied with it and we begin to inquire on, well, who am I actually, a hum Brahmasmi? That's the most important aspect. If we have that understanding, if we have, if we can start from that basis that, okay, I am actually a soul living in a body. Now, whenever we make decisions, it's actually going to help us advance in that understanding and help us advance and actually live and experience that truth rather than just have a speculative understanding of it. That's the goal of the government. The goal of the administrative class is to protect the people and to make sure that all their functionalities are maintained. Even if another government wants to come in, the governments don't interfere with what the people's doing. It used to be back then that wars were fought on battlefields. You fought a battlefield on a war, or I'm sorry, you, you fought a battle on a war field. And whoever was the winner, they would be instated as the administrative class, but they wouldn't touch what the people were doing. The women, the children, the workers, all that. They were all left alone. They weren't affected by that. So uh, that's something we need to get back to. And so right now we're missing the Brahminical class. We're missing the class of people, the division of people that have that knowledge. There's very few people. Most people are all trained to be shudras or less, like working ants, like no intelligence. They don't want to give them any intelligence. They only want to give them methods of working. So... Um, your essay really uh, uh, you know, brought a lot of that to light because, like you were saying, Thoreau said, you know, the opinion of a person of themselves really indicates their destiny. So if people's opinion of themselves is I am just this body, I am just this temporary manifestation trying to just enjoy a little bit before I die, you know, that's actually the status of most people, which is why they stay in a working class environment when many of them have within themselves the capability to manifest way higher potentials. So 
uh, Thoreau was spot on on that. And I know for a fact that he was inspired by the Bhagavad Gita, which is why he's so spot on and intelligent with his transcendental metaphysical principles. So in, um, and I want to know Anders and Raphael, what you guys think. And thank you for elucidating that, Brennan. I think I'm going to be playing the devil's advocate today. I don't disagree with y'all for the record. I think it's moving in a direction for the analogy of like the boat captain and the, and the ship crew. I think for a long time, this is what liberal, um, education, like, uh, kind of, a uh, liberal arts, like knowing many things about many things kind of got people equipped for in the middle ages or whatever. Um, and what uh, that model of education is kind of less common now, but was common for a long time. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's just put it this way. At one point you look out on the water and somebody's like really kicking ass on the water and like nobody else is really doing that. So there's exceptional individualism. Maybe it's in the latent talent. Maybe they're Poseidon's son. Who knows? But the point is like somebody's kicking ass on the water. And then some people say, we want to participate in that. Uh, they might kind of throw together some, whether they're intuiting it or it's knowledge based off of like principles of hydrodynamics or whatever, you know, Da Vinci style kind of grokking from nature uh, or just kind of intuitions. Um, let's say they build a boat, right? And they say, oh, yes, uh, Eureka, we found it, buoyancy and all this stuff. Like, we're, and it's weird because you were talking about a Kali Yuga because it's like, I mean, this is recent history I'm talking about. So maybe this is the best we can do given the circumstance of the playing field. But, um, I mean, maybe at one point everybody was fully woke and they knew how to do everything fully. But it seems like we've had uh, exceptional individuals who rise to the top of a hierarchy in a sense of a place where people find a need. Uh, at worst, it's an entertainment need. Like, oh, this is a you know a gladiator who kicks ass. And we like watching him. At best, it's like this person's helping us you know build aqueducts or whatever for the crops or you know that kind of stuff. Like collectivist kind of goals of society. Um, so you have this person who's like an expert and they're the captain of the ship at, at some point in this analogy, right? Like you were saying, and they're like, I know enough about the, how this quote needs to go that I can direct people based off of their skill sets, maybe their awareness levels, whatever. Um, so the guy swabbing the decks isn't quite the same guy as, you know, maybe somebody who's throwing in the fishnets, whatever, you know, the guy up on the, uh, you see my notes. So there's different parts of the body have different kind of functions within the body collective of the ship analogy here at some point and i think this has been the goal of modern education at a level for whatever good has come out of it has been to like let's equip everybody to kind of know what the fuck is going on generally so they can be captains if they need to be now everybody has proclivities and skill sets or whatever but like the divine rule or whatever of the captain can be mitigated to a, a level of uh, if it's collectively water rises collectively for everybody in awareness terms and everybody all of a sudden understands like the general principles of navigation and maybe you know stargazing to figure out where they are or whatever the heck whatever made the captain quote special if people can kind of tap into that at various levels hence the liberal arts education degree like become a pretty high caliber generalist um although you do have your skill sets but like you can kind of fit in anywhere uh then it kind of changes the game i think that's where we're going for a long time we've been I mean, this gets this is this has been the struggle of humanity for the past few thousand years, where it's like some people think, um, for right or wrong reasons, you know, some people are righteous and want to be Brahmins and, and move it forward. Some people are assholes and want to, uh, you know, think they're better. Like the Queen of England thinks her blood is better than other people's or whatever, right? Like that kind of energy. Um, I'm kind of rambling, but I, it's funny. It seems like we're kind of coming out of that phase, but like a lot of people through technology, which is ironically 
possibly uh, this is the whole point of Andrew Yang's platform who was running for president at one point like we're gonna not need the menial tasks we've been outsourcing menial tasks over and over for a long period of time at one point like we really all had to be in the fields to eat and then it turned into like well we have like systems of irrigation that kind of do a lot of work for us or water mills and then it turned into like well we have classes of people doing this based off education which then turns into the whole you know dynamics of class structure and that's how you get i mean i'm even watching harry potter and reading it it's like draco malfoy thinks he's hot shit why because he's born in a certain family who has access to privileged awareness or resources or whatever whereas harry potter's living under the fucking stairs but he's just as capable uh, and he doesn't know it he you know he's a captain and he just didn't have the chance to be a captain or whatever on a ship in that analogy i'm kind of rambling but it seems like we're getting to a point in history where <laughs> AI and automation is going to have a severe impact on just the ability for uh, we're going to have provisions neat met in a lot of ways, um, which is good and bad potentially, depending on, you know, what people do with their idle time, I guess. Uh, if they have the time to look within and figure out their godhood nature or whatever, that's dope. If they all, yeah, all but very start drinking and shit. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be like betting at the horse races or like fucking, you know, random people or whatever the fuck. So, yeah, because they're going to be following the example of the people that like are given the most attention in the media. You know, all these celebrities and all that stuff. They're just going to copy them, which is exactly what they're doing. They're copying the Cardi B's. They're copying the the rappers are copying the the athletes. They're copying which is all a consequence people. of the Kali Yuga, you think, where it's just like good is bad and bad is good. Righteousness is hard to find. That kind of thing. Well, yeah, the there's so many symptoms in the Kali Yuga. Um, it's very important to note that we're actually in this really amazing niche time uh, where Lord Chaitanya gave us the thousand year, uh, ten thousand year golden age, starting about five hundred years ago. So we're still in like the late transitionary period where the knowledge and the awareness and the awakening is happening. So there will yeah, the be end a... of the feudal system was pretty dope. Like for before that, it was like every man for himself, find a warlord you can trust in and hope yeah, for the best. Yeah. So Kali Yuga began 5,000 years ago. So, uh, and it deteriorates over time. So uh, the feudal system and what, what people understand as the caste system today uh, was – uh, misunderstood completely. The scriptures tell us that actually the Varnashram Dharma system is not based off your birth. It's based off your characteristics. So if you're a Shudra or a worker uh, and you're born in a working class family, but you exhibit the qualities of a Brahmin, then you are to be considered a Brahmin and vice versa. If you're a Brahmin or you're a Kshetriya, but you show the qualities of a, of a, of a Shudra, then you're, you're considered a, a, a Brahmaduta. You're you're born in a Brahmin family, but you're not actually a Brahmin. So that's that that was the actual inclination. There are many instances of uh, very highly elevated personalities associating with people who are considered the lowest of class of people, and they were demonstrating that while he may be born in a low class family, actually his constitution, like who he is, actually is extremely elevated, and he should be respected as such. Makes me think of Alexander Hamilton from the musical Hamilton, where it's like he's kind of rough and tumble, and his mom's a whore and all this shit, and he's dealing with slavery. I don't know if you've seen that. We've had an yeah, yeah I saw it live. I yeah. saw the, oh, uh, sick. the the play. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, the musical. Yeah, it's yeah. dope. But the same idea, right? This guy's just like a kind of he's at the lowest rung, and he worked his way because of his character qualities. Um, that's why America's so unique, essentially, because we've had a system in theory that was like. 
what are your character sets? It doesn't, you know, anybody can become anything potentially, but then there's an ossification within systems where the Draco Malfoy syndrome happens, right? Where it's like, he's a prick and he's a total jerk and he's not qualified, you know, he's not up to the character caliber of his privileged situation. It's happenstance, not earned in that sense. But then yeah. this gets into presuppositions really quick where it's like, is everything as it needs to be? functionally are we just bemoaning differentiations of like porcupines aren't ostriches and we're fighting for the rights of equality when there shouldn't be like i i don't know I'm, this is why we've kind of talked about these things i'm not sure like yeah, democracy so and you know real equality, equality is, a new is under, real equality is understanding that we're all spirit souls that's real equality but we have to understand that these un, this universe it manifests in a variegated way meaning there's variety okay like in terms of the, the the understanding is called achintya beta beta tatva. It's simultaneous oneness and difference. So it's one in a sense that we're all spirit souls, we're all family, but it's different in that each of us have our own unique body, our own individual personality, our own tendencies, our own actions, our own reactions. So nobody's the same. It is a complete illusion to believe that men and women are the same. Clearly, they're not the same. And if they were the same, we'd have problem. It's all created. We have to understand that this universe is created by the most intelligent being ever. Like, it is, it is a super intelligent creation. It is not by accident that there are men and women. And it's important that men and women embrace who they are rather than trying to become each other. And that's just one example. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make everybody the same. And the so reason... This was Go ahead. The reason that they want to do that is because it's easy to control people like that. I was about you, to say, is this like a distorted opinion that makes it, I mean, it just siphons off energy? It gets really tricky because what we're talking about is like the philosophy of identity. Does that change over time? I mean, it seems like you have a presupposition at some level where it's like, uh, well, I don't want to speak for you, but it's like everyone's equal at a spiritual level. Sure. Like we're all in the image of God. You could say like that in a Christian knee sense. Um, but at the same time, you know, the eye is not the foot. It's not the hand. We have different functional yep, embodiments. That's, right, right. that's exactly right. And also every soul has its own unique relationship with Krishna. Like we all have our own unique personality. The soul has a personality. It's not just like a beam of light. It has everything that the body has. It just doesn't have any of the limitations or any of the, the I guess what we want to call the sin nature of it. The word sin means, you know, to miss the, the mark. mark. I guess it's, it's missing the mark. So, you know, we do things that we think are good for us, but actually aren't. And so I, I just want to give a little bit of background to why this is a fact because we need, and it's easiest to look at America. Uh, if we look at America, the Democratic Party has actually been infiltrated by the communists. Like, they are in bed with China and Russia. Um, it's been proven that Hillary Clinton was using uh, her collusion with the Russian government and pinning it on Trump. Uh, it's all in her emails. Uh, and this is very important because the communist regime... Their method of control is just make everybody the same, make everybody work, and then everybody gets the same result. Okay, that's how they do it. Like give everybody equal, they want equal outcomes, which is extremely dangerous. We should all be uh, given equal opportunity, but equal outcomes is extremely dangerous. And that's what the government is pushing hard. You know, I don't know if y'all have heard any of Biden's campaign ads, but he's always talking about Vote for me. The government's going to protect you in this crisis. I'll make sure you get what you deserve, blah, blah, blah. 
and fooling the young, the youth who are naturally compassionate, thinking that the government wants to help people. The government is actually trying to control every sector of your life. What all, all your data, what you eat, who you talk to, where you go to work, how much money you make. They want to control all the outcomes because the human beings are the real resources, right? We're the real powerhouses here. And so, um, uh, the reason why this whole sovereignty thing is coming back and Trump is pushing sovereignty because he understands very well that the government's role is to protect the people, not to control them. The government has no say in our individual lives. It's only to protect the, pu the, the interest of the public. But nowadays that phrase is used to protect the government's interest, not the people's interests. So, well, given so your... Uh, philosophy earlier it seemed like you were alluding to the fact at some level that like some people just don't know how to do like we need a governing class in order yes, because we, we just can't wipe our butts properly or whatever well it's not um, because we can't do our normal activities but not everybody knows how to manage uh 300 million people right that's like that is a it's hard to manage skill. yourself in a way <laughs> yeah exactly and no one should have to know how to do that only a select few people really need to know how to do that it's not important that everybody knows how to do that like you know uh this is why the whole the nuclear family has dissolved too because they're really trying to make men and women the same they're trying to you know have both of them work have both of them do the exact same things and it's like it's it's almost seems as if it's like demeaning to have to take care of children and to like maintain a home when actually a stable home is what creates geniuses a stable home is what creates the best of personalities our children are our future it's actually a very highly elevated position to take care of children you know it's easy to go out and dig holes it's harder to teach a child what's right and what's wrong in my opinion like so we just and have we've relegated such... that to the state. I mean, it's tricky because there's been evolution. So at one point it was like the you know the elder of the tribe, and like he tells your dad the warrior what to do, and you and mom and the kid. You know, it's like it's moved into a place where, and I think there's I, a huge. I mean, there's a huge threshold point with centralized schooling and mandatory schooling, and we can first of all ask the questions: How come no one was able to read or write? Let's say a few hundred years ago, how did that even happen? you know, questioning all history. And uh, then, of course, questioning whatever you've been taught. And by now, many have figured out much of what you've been taught in school, at the very least, is a, a gross simplification, if not incorrect. So, I mean, I think there's a huge argument uh, for more, let's just say, self-directed learning. Well, it's cut somewhere in the middle, right? Because like Dumbledore's dope because he's got a hands on, you know, like he's being a father figure, I guess, to people, right? But he's still yeah, but just uh, show me the Dumbledore. Well, that's where it gets tricky, um, and that's kind of what I was saying a second ago, where it's like we're moving between things. So on the one hand, for a long time, it was tyrannical, kind of like Spartan, maybe realities. Even in the Manly P. Hall of Secret Teachings of the Ages, the history it gives on like the uh, you know Athenian kind of in greek and you know all the history of thought and essentially these were like i don't know the term brendan would use but it's like these were not not everybody was thinking these thoughts a lot of people were just like i want food i want to fuck that's right, feel, right you know Sense so it's like right right but there's but sure there's some philosophers among us right and i think generally speaking most people think of themselves as armchair philosophers to a degree now which is nice but now we're all confused no one know, really knows their role especially given the ideals of like manifest destiny or you can do whatever you want anybody can be president like people 
are left to their impulses and their creativity, which on the one hand is beautiful. Um, and so, yay, like we can be like kind of anything we want to imagine or dare to believe or, you know, anything like that. But at the same time, it's also the problem of choice. It's like Netflix. It's like there's too many movies. We don't know what to do. You just sit there and siphon through options and never actually pick anything. Um, you know, the guy who knows how to fucking make that one karate chop awesome and goes and get, you know, does the um, it's the wax on wax off thing. If you know one thing really, really well, all of a sudden you're an expert. See, we're evolving as a species. What it means to be as a human in these times, I think, has been changing for a long time. I couldn't give you times since Brandon's got a, um, a, a, you know, a model that he's working with in that sense. Um, but then it's funny because, Raphael, I hear you kind of – it's not that you're mm, – it is what it is. I'm not saying you're talking out two sides of your mouth or anything, but it's on the one hand, it's like if everything is like a dream and it's all good, isn't this like the way it's choosing to operate? So we're going to have class warfare because because there's toroidal dynamics essentially. So it's like it's not always up and positive. Like there's going to be people that suffer. I mean, this gets quickly into like you know, scarcity and abundance and stuff, but it's like this winter's entire occurred. world is just nothing but suffering. Like right, Buddha would say it's a shit show. Right? It, it is. And it's this, the reason it is is because we're identified with it. We think this world is us. We think that the the earth, the water, the fire, the air, and the space within our body is who we are. And because of that, and we see it on the outside, you know, we that's just that's just it right there. And so as soon as you as soon as you identify with that, it's all over. Nothing's even fun. You know, the what we call enjoyment is actually just a cessation of suffering the temporary stopping of the suffering, you know, like your body is constantly deteriorating. Whenever you eat some food, that deterioration process stops a little bit, but then as soon as you're finished eating, it starts up back up again, etc. All, you know, in, in every way that we can gratify our senses is this way. So the reason why we're having this, you know, class warfare is because you got a bunch of people being put into a class that they don't belong whether it's in a higher class or a lower class, they're not in the worst, wrong place. It's eyeballs, like trying to put a line in the ocean. Right. Or at worst, like eyeballs have, you know, risen to various people, whatever, Da Vinci's or Beethoven's or fucking Cardi B or whoever. People have succeeded in certain ways. Industries have supported them, whatever. And then this is where it gets tricky to me. People think that's possible. And I guess in some way in the open source dream thing, Raphael, this was like saying, like, where's the rub here? Like anything's possible, but it seems some things are less des- helpful in a way it's like you could kind of do anything but there's like um there's a a dow or something that you need sure, there's sure. a there's a model you need to go after for your functional highest you know dream or whatever the fuck yeah of course i mean it's it, then it's up to let's in a sense there may be different measurements you can apply but ultimately of course it's your subjective judgment in terms of what is ultimately conducive to you leading your own life and you interpreting your own experience you know that's of but course Brendan's unique. whole point is we're incapable of knowing that during this time period. The quality of time is such that we're fooling ourselves into thinking that the pursuit of happiness means watching baseball and drinking beer. Yeah, we're incapable of understanding it from a material point of view. That'll always be true. But we, it, it is possible for us to know. But in order for us to do that, we have to take we have to take the reference from people who know more than us. And right now, most people live in the illusion that, you know, do what you think is best. Right. This is going back to the original point I was making that the, the main fault of democracy is that it assumes that the general population knows what's good for them. This is the problem. Most people don't know what's good for them. They know what they like 
and they know what might make them feel good for a little while, but they don't know actually what's good for them in the long term. Just Isn't like that the argument of communism? Where they're like, well, yes, you guys but, don't know. But, the, but then the assumption is, is that the leadership does know what's better for them. But the reason why this communist system doesn't work is because the leadership is using the people to, to, you know, to profit and leech off of them, not to actually help them. You know, and it's because and it's because in today's society, all communists are atheist states. They don't believe in the recognition of anything spiritual whatsoever. Everything is just a material energy. There is no there is no soul. There is this no is an incredibly important point to reinforce, Brendan. Yeah. 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 That's the big problem. Real communism, you know, Krishna is the original communist. And you know, that's where everybody gets what they need. And they all get to dedicate that to the higher, the higher authority. And then they get the pleasure in the Krishna conscious world. We're actually the enjoyed. We're actually the objects being enjoyed and Krishna is the enjoyer, but the actual uh, enjoyment is the same for both parties. In today's communism, it's the administrative class that gets all the enjoyment and it's the working class that suffers for it. And it's well, completely it's selfish. I don't want to know what Anders thinks because he's been rather quiet. Um, jump in anytime you feel like it, Anders. Obviously, yeah. Uh, it seems like he's not even in the room. See on your screen? Oh, yeah, he's, he, he, <laughs> just, he just uh, disconnected. He's like, I have nothing to contribute. Goodbye. No, <laughs> Hopefully I not. don't think that's the reason. Um, so, anyways, I'd say uh, we just do a short music break, and then sure, maybe sure. he'll be back by then already, and we'll just continue. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we reappear for edition 179, Sovereignty Supreme, by now with Jim and Brandon. That was a dope track. I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's it seems, to, I don't know, you're always turning me on tracks I've never heard, which are both psychedelic and somehow feel more spiritual. That sounds weird. Well, uh, I'm sure uh, Brandon can say a thing or two about the importance of music. <laughs> That's the original language. I guess, I mean, I'm, it's funny because I talk about the Kali Yuga a lot, but I don't know enough about it. But I think that's, uh, you know, the Bible talks about oh, all creation is groaning or something like that. So we're just trying to get out of this. It feels like that's the issue at the moment. And you said 500 years ago, some guy initiated the Golden Age or something. What was up with that? Yeah, so uh, Krishna appears as many different uh, incarnations. But 500 years ago, he appeared as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He actually appeared as a devotee of Krishna in the mood of Radharani or in the mood of his internal potency, his pleasure potency, to bestow to the people the, the, uh, uh, the Yuga Dharma of this age. So in previous ages, um, the method of enlightenment was like deep meditation. You would go out into the forest and you would find a solitary place and for thousands of years you would meditate upon the super soul within the heart but over time as uh as time went on our intelligence began to deteriorate our material intelligence as well as our uh uh just our overall constitution we begin to live less uh like not as long we begin to exhibit more unwanted qualities until we came to the kali yuga which is like supposed to be the most degraded age. But because of this, Krishna is so merciful, the, what you want to call the universe or like the supreme, the, the, 
the total collective intelligence was so compassionate to the individuals living on this planet that instead of having to do all of that, all you have to do is resonate the sound vibration of the Supreme, Hare Krishna. And you do that through the Harinam Sankirtan movement. So you don't just say the name, you sing the name, you dance and uh, you play instruments to the name, you, you make it a celebration. So it is super key on music. You know, music is the actual universal spiritual language. You might not be able to speak Sanskrit, but when you look at someone and smile and say, Hare Krishna, you know exactly what they're saying. You know exactly what they're implying. So Chaitanya, he gave us that benediction 500 years ago. He says, don't change what you're doing. Just add Krishna to it and everything will be will uh, happen naturally. Everything that you need to help you advance in your spiritual life naturally will happen. Just vibrate the holy name and everything else will come. That's the Yuga Dharma of this age. So it's actually a very, while it may seem like, oh, we're not in such a good place right now, spiritually speaking, this is actually the best time to take birth. This is the best time to be a human being because it's so easy to advance spiritually. You just have to sit and chant or sing and dance and chant. That's all you have to do. And even the higher devatas, the higher celestial personalities, very much desire to take birth on the earth at this time because of how conducive it is spiritually. So uh, as long as we maintain those principles that Chaitanya teaches, then actually this age can be just like Satya Yuga or the Golden Age. It, it can be just like that. But right now, generally speaking, the tendency in the material world here on Earth during this Kali Yuga is that people exhibit qualities which are unwanted and unnecessary. But that is being easily reversed in this age because according to the scripture, for 10,000 years from the day that Lord Chaitanya appears, that is actually the, the golden opportunity for spiritual enlightenment. And the earth will actually be ruled by such intelligence for that given amount of time. And then after the 10,000 years is over, it begins to degrade again. So it's funny because I've seen a meme before that kind of goes along with this minus the whole uh, Hindu kind of slant. But the idea is like good times make for lazy people. Lazy time, you know, the, the create harder times. Harder times create strong people. Strong people make better times. It's like it, it seems in a way we tend to identify with the times we're in. Um, and I think Raphael might with the Bashar kind of slant um, be saying, and I mean, you know, I'm saying this now, I don't even know if it's true, but I'm saying it because I want to believe it's true. It's like, I chose to be here during these conditions. So it's like, you know, trying to learn on a ship as it's sinking is very different than learning in a field with, you know, philo philosophical, well, you know, if you golden think child that's seats. where you started off as well, you know. Well, I guess right. I'm the, what I'm kind of, uh, it's not even, it's just a comment. I'm not, it's not really a question, but it's like, it's all good, I guess. It's just we, for the, and we've talked about this with other people on the podcast. I, um, I'm kind of curious what you guys' opinion on like the nature of, um, how would I put this? Dynamics requires, you know, toroidal interchange, I guess you could put it, from high to low pressure systems or whatever. So it's like movement occurs. That's the whole I Ching thing. It's like you can choose how to operate within the weather that you're in. So sometimes it's raining and it's a monsoon. You can wear appropriate clothing and galoshes and an umbrella, or you can be naked and running around and get cold. Um, so it seems we're like 
I don't, we tend to be like, oh, these are the best times, worst times. You kind of like get all dramatic about it, but it's like this is the school that we're all agreeing to be in right now. Um, and kind of like Brennan, you were saying, um, it's really gracious of the deities to make it so easy. It's like, I'm kind of curious, Raphael, do you think we just, like, how do you break that down in your own world? Be like, are we choosing to be at a time when that's, that's, you know, the red pill is easily accessible in that kind of way? Or, um, should we even be comparing times? Like, in a sense, is it arbitrary? This gets into kind of relativism really quick. Well, you know, from the highest level, you could kind of say it's arbitrary, but it seems that as soon as you get into any differentiations, whether then, as Brandon pointed out, some, let's say, spiritual teachers or some etheric races or some near-death experiencers and so on, many seem to bring back this idea or this concept that everybody really wanted to be part of the party that is happening here right now. So, and other than that, from what I've heard, I can just um, consider myself and I would certainly see it that way. Now, one can say that just a perspective or whatever, but that's just what makes the most sense to me. And certainly it is a time of great transformation. I guess by 2020, it is, has finally become uh, supremely obvious to everyone. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is maybe a fundamental worldview or something, but if you somehow understand that your life, your true life didn't start upon your inception or your birth, then, and you don't believe in some varying stories of disempowerment, then who else could have made the choice to incarnate upon this time other than yourself on some level? Absolutely. We all have our own unique role to play. And my spiritual master's primary instruction is you increase your happiness and continue to do your work. You know, uh, example is more important than precept. So while having the philosophy and being able to talk about the philosophy is important, the most important thing is that you're showing people how to do it. You're walking the walk and talking the talk. So uh, that's the real way that we make change in the world. And the Bhagavad Gita tells us that uh, whatever great personalities do, the general population will follow suit. So right now we're being told uh, what is the criteria for a great personality and really it's just how much material possessions do they have, how much money do they make, how much women do they have, you know, how much, uh, how many views do they get on Instagram, that's how people are viewing it. But in actuality it's what is the soul expression, what is the actual wisdom, the actual potency of this being that determines what's really a great person or not, what's really a great entity or not. And uh, we've had it, the reason we're able to compare is because just on the celestial level, just on the level of the stars, we've actually seen so many highly elevated personalities take birth during this short period of time during the Kali Yuga. So many in almost innumerable to count. But and we have had major religions be established based on just a few of them, like Christianity. You know, it's just based off of the birth and the life of Christ and see how many people are attracted to it. So there are many, many more that have done the same, that have done great things like Christ has. And so um, the key element to actually changing our future is taking the association of these beings. Now, being physically in proximity to them is, you know, of course, very encouraged, but uh, also 
uh, listening and following their instructions and their example, that is also associating with them. So, for example, Srila Prabhupada, the one who started the Hare Krishna movement, he's a very highly elevated personality. And by reading his books, you're taking association from him. By following his instructions, you're taking association from him. And all the true spiritual masters, they all have the same instructions. Remember the Supreme, live your life and dedicate it to the Supreme. All the rules and regulations that you choose to follow, those are all intended so that you never forget about the Supreme. Those instructions are one and the same. Some people may have disagreements on how they execute those regulated principles. And that's why we have such variegated uh, you know, traditions and religions, but they really all are the same if they're sincere. The, the goal is love for God and experiential ecstatic understanding, actually having that ecstatic experience of being connected to the divine. That's the whole goal. And right now we're in a time where it's very conducive to learn about it. There's so many opportunities. You know, even our neighbors are participating in some form of spirituality or another, even if it's just like getting into crystals or something, people are naturally becoming attracted to the more subtle uh, ethereal experiences because that's actually our home. That's where we came from. It reminds us of home. So when it comes to sovereignty and you know, legal or otherwise, it's all about bringing back the primordial element, which is the soul element. That's the real key component. You know, if I have an understanding that I'm actually the, I'm the one that runs my own ship and my advisor is the supreme. If I listen to my advisor's instructions, my ship is going to sail just fine. But if I try to do it my own way when I don't even know how to read the map, well, then, of course, I'm going to hit turbulent waters. So the key is to take shelter of those that already have control of their ship, to already to associate with people that already have got it figured out. And they exist in the world. They may not all be in physical bodies, but they're all very present for us here on the earth. So that's that's the number one key element. If we can stick to that, then our timeline, our you know, our narrative that we have for ourselves is going to be very pleasant, very good for us. We'll see other people suffer, and our only suffering that we'll have is the compassion that we have for them. We want them to not suffer. You know, we feel what they're going through, so we want to. It, emphatically be sharing this information as much as possible always be you know letting people know that there is a better timeline there is a better experience that you can be having and all it requires is that you be sincere so uh absolutely absolutely the um the there is like in my opinion different degrees of experience you know and we should be striving to always experience that higher taste you know, that's what gives us drive in life. That's where inspiration comes from. So I'm curious because I think I lean your direction more. I mean, that's why I've maintained Christian stuff. I tend to be like, I'm sovereign and cool and stuff, but I have, like you were saying, an advisor of the, of the Supreme. Uh, I tend to look at God at some levels outside of myself and moving towards that kind of teleological, ontological position where it's like, you know, progress is possible and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I'm not trying to catch Raphael up in a catch-22. When one is the Supreme itself, which I think I've, I mean, in some level, the manifestation of the Supreme is each of us, and correct me where I'm wrong in your opinion, Raphael, like is, is uh, you know, Kim Kardashian and Cardi B, are they being them? their highest supreme selves and following their enjoyment and what makes it uh, less, you know, helpful than, you know, whether it's our gurus or, you know, whoever. 
Well, again, the helpfulness is completely subjective valuation. And we could even have some in some ways, according to, you know, spiritual development or something. But again, then who says that that is the only ultimately valid goal? <clears throat> and so that's so much to say in terms of how they choose to express themselves and, you know, whether that's conducive or not, you know, could be judged in a sense, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter because what matters for your individual manifestation of your reality is how you respond and what you do. There's not too much that you need to, in this sense, worry about others, let's say, uh, from that point of view. Um, and what else do you mean in terms of, uh, uh, what is the point? Well, it seems like at, let's say. Brennan is, and I would naturally go this way, but I don't really express it very much where it's like, there's a, there's a better way. And ever, uh, so oh, and, yeah, sure. and we've fallen out of a, an alignment with that, maybe? But just put it simply, so, uh, what they just explained, if you listen closely, and I believe I did, and uh, Brent, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, just put in different terms, he basically said, follow your si higher self, uh, follow your highest excitement, because the highest excitement is the translation of the energy, the ecstatic experience, the direct signal of your higher self, which then in Brennan's terminology could be called at least a relay, let's say, of the Supreme Personality. So in terms of content, from what I gather, we're all talking about exactly the same, and there's not really much a differential except maybe in uh, terms. So why are we hating on Bill Gates and Kim K? If they're because living they're their naturally, joy? they're not living their highest joy. They're extricating other, well, because they're extricating other people's uh, life force for their own enjoyment. There's a difference of like wanting to share what makes you happy or getting happiness from other people's suffering. It's very clear there are people that have demoniac natures that we're not denying. There's polarity naturally exists in the material world. That's a fact. And it's a fact that there are personalities that want to see people suffer. And they know for a fact that they're doing that. They're very conscious. Or maybe they don't actions. want to watch others suffer, but they would rather benefit. And if others suffer, whatever, that kind of thing. Like I imagine Kim K isn't like, I want to fuck everyone ever, but she's like, I want money. So I want to make you feel insecure. So you buy my makeup or whatever. Yeah. yeah. What's clear though, just briefly, I mean, again, what's conducive or not, I'm not even going to be the judge, but if we talk about ideas like, you know, biophilic, like, you know, life supporting and uh, health supporting and so on then, of course, I mean, if you have heavily traumatized individuals, I'm kind of always like, well, what, what else do you expect to happen, you know, and there is a, yeah, it is a very interconnected web, let's say, of concepts that have to be adjusted for this issue ultimately to be resolved. For me, there's nothing to hate on them because even here, even if we could say, okay, Bill Gates, I mean, are they embodying the, uh, the will of Kali in that sense? Where it's like, this is a destructive oh, element. Sure. sure. Well, sure. I mean, that too. And also, uh, the one concept I like that Bashar also oftentimes shares is even if their only purpose is to see, in a sense, your own antithesis integrated within yourself, in that sense, actually neutralize it by really understanding it, what it is, what it means, and really being able to make up your own mind. Many individuals wouldn't even know there is any choice to be had or to be made individually if they weren't put in front of the choices they are being put in front of this year, for example. Yeah, So it's a great benefit and a great catalyst. And also you can just see it as an example, just like with many superstars. You can look at their life and be like, oh, I want to be a star. I want to be a famous actor or something. But you look at most of them and you'll be like, well, 
maybe not so sure anymore. So it can even just serve as a great example as something that maybe we individually and collectively do not wish to proceed to manifest. So it's great that it's becoming conscious and come to the forefront and into the light. That's this type of spotlight that hasn't been tuned up so high for quite some time, I would say. Right. And we need to see what is it actually fundamentally that we all want. Everybody has the same fundamental nature. We all naturally seek enjoyment. And that itself is not a problem. That's actually how we are naturally. That's our natural constitution. Problem is, is how I mean, the polarity of that enjoyment is the we're issue. Looking, it seems. We're looking for lasting happiness in temporary things, and so because of that, we suffer every time. So we get this, you know, when we have people like Kim Kardashian and we have people like Bill Gates, all these big corporate, you know, people who are in the big corporate world. They're trying to sell you something, implying that it's going to give you that lasting happiness when it's actually a temporary phenomenon. And Coca-Cola and joy. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> but is there a functional necessity for that? Like, Is that going to cause us to evolve yeah. spiritually in a way that wouldn't have happened if we're all just eating apples and singing Kumbaya in a summertime field always? Yeah. Like it seems well, winter is necessary to appreciate summer. Yeah, the whole purpose of it is that we get not frustrated with winter, it and though, give sorry. it up. No, not nuclear winter. Yeah, but the whole purpose of it is that we become, we satisfy these desires, and then we're still not satisfied. So then I will we never thought, be satisfied. <laughs> yeah, and we don't, uh, you know, we realize that, okay, this is not giving me the juice. And then you ask, where am I going to get that nectar? Right now, I'm just getting tiny little drops, but I want a, I want a bucket full of it. And when then that's when Krishna, because of his divine intelligence, arranges for us the ability to meet someone who has that knowledge or be able to take shelter of somebody who knows what that knowledge is and what we need to do to put ourselves in a position that we can consciously experience that nectar, that enjoyment. And right but you don't now, seem like a Gnostic where you're trying to escape the body particularly, like you're enjoying life. So no, is it exactly. just that like the order, I mean, I think C.S. Lewis said this, right? Where it's like when things are properly ordered, you can enjoy them properly or something like that. Where it's like, yeah, you know, these yeah. things aren't bad, but we've got them in like inverted pyramid style. So it's like we're prioritizing the ephemeral and not going for the maybe character goals or, you know, looking at an eternal picture. And then when we do that, we can actually enjoy the picnic without, you know, bemoaning that we're out of cheesecake or whatever. Yeah, Krishna talks about all this in the 12th chapter of the Gita. He says there are four different kinds of people. Okay, there are the karmis, the jnanis, the yogis, and then the bhaktas. The, the karmis are the people that they're just trying to get the fruits of their labor, right? They're going out working hard all day so they can make some money so they can go get a nice meal and have a nice wife. You know? The Karl Marxes of the situation. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, let's just be and, comfy. And, and for them, that's the extent of their life. They don't go any farther than that. Wait, okay, just briefly. That, so from that logic, sorry, it's kind of a funny or silly joke, but would this mean that many like Americans would be actually communists? <laughs> yes, they are. They're, they're carmies, you know, but they're not communists in the sense that they're pretending like they're doing it for the common good. They're doing it for themselves. And they're most of them are pretty honest about that. Well, they throw a flag say. on, say, pursuit of happiness, and then, but ultimately yeah, it's the yeah. ego gratification is the priority here, not like Absolutely. the nation state's stability or something. Yep, and that's where the majority of people in the material world fall under, is the carnies. 
And then you have the jnanis. These are the people who become frustrated with karmic activities. They realize that they're not giving that lasting happiness that they want. So they they uh, start to indulge in um, empirical knowledge, right? So they start to figure out, okay, what is real? What is not real? I must be stuck there. Yeah. And then they get stuck in that intellectual pursuit. You know, they get, they get stuck in that spot. And their ultimate goal is to merge with the impersonal Brahmin or the impersonal aspect of God. So you have God, imagine you have a person and he's glowing, he's shining, he's so effulgent. That effulgence, the light that's coming off of his body, that's the impersonal aspect of him. And that's the impersonal aspect of Krishna. He has that. That's actually what illuminates the material worlds. That's the, where the light comes from, from the sun, is that illumination of that spiritual potency. So uh, they want to merge with that. But they, in order to do that, they want to eradicate their personality. They understand that, okay, my whole material personality is just made up. So I'm just going to get rid of all of it so I can just become nothing and merge with the all. But uh, Which is, at worst, maybe the Jim Carrey situation where he's like, I'm nothing. Yeah, see, and it's like, but that's uh, not a fact. And that, you know, the soul is something. Like, the soul, it, it does exist. It may not be, we not be able to measure it with our senses, but it's certainly a living, breathing force. Krishna talks about this. It's called the Jiva Atma. It's the anti-material particle. It's the anti-material uh, element. And so it, it has a positive existence. Our existence is not just in the negative. Yes, we are not these bodies. This is a fact. Well, it seems like Jim Carrey had like a Zen Buddhist epiphany or something where it's like, he I did. am animated nothing. And Ram Dass was the same way. Like he, you know, he was very Mayavadi, like, oh, the impersonal truth. But then as he started to mature, he started to recognize the positive existence of the divine as well. And so, and Buddha did as well. It was the Buddhists actually who distorted his teachings, but we've talked about that before. And, uh, uh, so then th that's one class of people. Then you have the yogis. Those are the people who take up intense sadhana or intense spiritual practice to gain mystic power, right? They understand that there is a positive spiritual reality, but they're doing it to satisfy their own ego as well. So if they can become very powerful or they can become free from the concept of the body, ultimately they will get some sort of powers and then they will use those powers to gratify themselves and then they will lose those powers and come back to their original position. Okay. Those are the, those are the three materially bounded individuals. That's more like the rock star situation. It's like, I'm going to rise from nothing and be something exceptional. And then it's kind of like the movie Rockstar, which is what terrible. Sounds incredibly but... interesting though. Just uh, Brandon, can you briefly repeat the three names that you just mentioned or the three classes? Yeah, it's the karmis, the jnanis, or those who seek knowledge, and then the yogis, those who seek uh, mystical perfection, mystical powers. Okay, perfect. So it really wasn't karmis. I was just relating it to the idea of the materialist viewpoint itself. But So thank you yeah, for differentiating. The karmis, yeah. So people right. who indulge in karmic activity. All right. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Even here, interesting, you know, uh, similarities. But also interesting that you say that in within the lore that you understand, the yogis actually, by definition, are kind of materialists. And so no surprise, you got all those bad examples of exactly what you mentioned. Same with, of course, so-called gurus, shamans, and so on. Too many of them for my taste, of course. Well, the Absolutely. idea, I'm seeing it in the Matrix. So it's like most people who are in the Matrix movie are like karmis, right? They're like, oh, they don't even know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. 
somebody who's the uh, Gianni or whatever. It's more like Neo, who's like, I'm intellectually pursuing something and I'm trying to figure it out and get to this other state. And maybe the Yogi's Morpheus where it's like, there's something crazy, but he has to like come to the, he even has to submit to some inversion. It's not like he stays in that position. He has to get saved by Neo and all this kind of shit. And it, like, you know, the second and third ones, it's like, is Zion could be saved. And he's like, you don't have to believe in my shit. Like whatever. He seems like he's like tripping on a specific flavor uh, and he has to come to the both highest levels of positive polarity and the lowest levels of negative polarity for that trip or whatever. Yes, and that perfection, that culmination is called bhakti. That is the recognition that, yes, I am a soul, and then there's actually one great super soul, and I'm a part and parcel of that great soul, and that I need to fit into my particular uh, function, or I need to... Function's not the greatest word, but I need to fit right... I'm a puzzle piece, and I need to fit right into that piece. So and, maybe that's the architect or the oracle. Where they're like, look, I'm different, and I know my role, and I help others. <laughs> and we're all, yeah, we're all yeah. just playing a game. And and the end of the day, it's all for the satisfaction of the supreme. So yeah, it's a game, but it's for the you know, it's just like the purpose of the game is to enjoy it. And so if we de- if we can consciously say yes, I want Krishna to enjoy the work that I'm doing then we become, we also attain that same nectar, that same joy. And then we don't have to worry about all these strenuous processes to try to come to the spiritual perfection. We leave, you know, instead of, it's like expecting a computer. If I plug a computer into the outlet, the computer doesn't have to like create all of its own power. All it has to do is just connect to that power source and the power source does all the work. It just gives it the energy. It doesn't have to do anything. It just it just receives. All it has to do is be you know the ports have to be plugged into the right place. It has to be logged in, turned on. That's the that's that's all the computer requires in order to. And that's understanding its creatureliness, I guess you could say, in a Christian sense, where it's like like we have a function. This is where the new age kind of trips me on. I don't disagree with it, but I think there's kind of a hubris and maybe a gray territory where we start thinking we're the. I'm this not. is what solipsism yeah exactly this is why solipsism yeah. can be dangerous to me in a way where it's like that's what the Gyanis believe I am God I'm going to merge with God I will become God phony dude okay if you're God please lift up that mountain with your pinky if you're God please there's so many ways you can demonstrate that you're God but we can't do that it's a complete fantasy okay it, and it, there are two types of gurus in this world a guru who would teach you how to become God and a guru who would teach you how to love God if he's going to teach you how to become God, he's a phony and a fake. He should be rejected. Do not ever listen to someone who's going to teach you how to become God. They're actually using you every single time. It is a fact. Like, this cannot be understated. I have worked with gurus who are like this. They are extremely dangerous. This is not sovereignty. Sovereignty is not saying, I am God. That is a, that is a fantasy. It is a farce. Well, it's tricky because even in Christianity... Right, that's the whole like the I am I, the I am. Like, I am that's a part and partial of God, but it's like sure. saying that the finger is the whole body. Doesn't well, this is the weird part with quantum mechanics. Uh, everything. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue here is, of course, words usually fail, and generally, of course, I'm all with you. At the same time, I would say anyone claiming that they are not God, I would also take issue with. But of course, it's a let's say, a balance of mind or a simultaneity of understanding and perspective, actually, yeah, Veda, a, Veda, Tattva, exactly. that is, we're, of course, we're something... We're God qualitatively. We're not God yes. quantitatively. 
that's the that's the understanding. We are not right. The whole thing, the well, whole obviously. shebang. As, yeah, as, obviously. as 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 even you know, um, in in the present moment, exemplified by our perception, you know, like right now, I'm not you know, um, omniscient in the sense of how I would now imagine an absolute omniscience or even whatever you may all you may know at this point. At the same time, we know it is very much possible to access quite a lot and have in that sense. Then one could say one would say supernatural which is totally natural or godlike which is totally human like powers and really i guess it's just you know this discernment and then you know whatever it is i'm not sure about the right word how then to balance these perspectives to also really be able to apply it practically and on the one hand not sell oneself short and then be subdued by any outside ideas of authority as we are discussing and at the same time whilst i think uh a very healthy even ego in a sense can be very positive not again take this to an extreme and disbalance it or then forget that as great as you are and may recognize yourself to be every other fractal must equally be as grand you know and if one is able to hold these perspectives perspectives simultaneously in my view then one can go about this quite in a balanced way if some of those are kind of ignored or yeah ignored then of course it can easily become imbalanced in a variety of ways. So how does that drive with the whole Bashar thing of like, there's nothing outside of you, it's you. I mean, that slips really quickly into the danger of solipsism for me, which may be accurate. See, just briefly, even here, the issue always is the same. If you just take snippets, you know, and then you interpret off of that from your own perception with any lore, I would say, of course, you can always just put anything there and then you get confused. If you really, you know, look at the, no, the commentary and all the so on, then many of these things get explained. I would assume it is similar with the Gita, with many other religious texts, esoteric texts, and same with Bashar. You can always take a snippet and be like, oh, this easily gets here and there. If you listen to more and more closely. Well, I guess I'm just asking, how do you make sense in your own mind of the of the dissonance between the claim of there's nothing outside of you versus you are a facet of a created thing? of which you need to submit to, which is more religious, one might say. Well, um, so number one, by understanding that the whole paradoxical idea of perspective apparently is at the heart of creation and can never immediately be grasped from a linear perspective or with a purely rational approach. Precisely. So being aware of that, even while rationally processing can be very helpful and to have a laugh as well about oneself. And the whole absurdity and also curiosity. Taking it too then, seriously can be a problem, yeah. And amazingness of existence. And then the other way I resolve it is I see all of those layers and I gladly submit however it is, as I would then call it, my higher self, you know. So it is all layered and it is hierarchical. And the essay in the beginning was written from a certain perspective also with the term of hierarchy, because hierarchy can also just mean divine order. And, you know, I'm very much all for that. And that's what we discussed has kind of been trying to be usurped now. I mean, it's a Kali Yuga, so what do you expect? Um, so that's, you know, also putting it in a, in a proper uh, frame. But then if I understand that ultimately all are my reflections, meaning nothing is outside of you also, I guess, gets to the idea that the material world itself, in a sense, is a, you know, sense illusion or holodeck simulation. Um, and of course, there's an interplay. And of course, again, I... Uh, consciously chose a certain uh, separation and limitation of my own senses within this incarnation again in order to have a particular experience for as brennan would say it 
the uh, for only the supreme enjoyer, you know, or the enjoyment of the supreme, or I could say of the higher self that again is just a relay to the one that is all, which is that supreme thing. So if I understand yeah. that these are all just levels and layers and aspects of myself ultimately, and yet I'm still aware that I'm consciously within the limitation and can deal with that, I don't know, sanely, whatever this may mean. Um, at least for me, that's a, that's a good place to be in. And uh, it helps that uh, you, the power remains within yourself. And at the same time, you can also respect yourself and the higher powers if you recognize them again to be part of yourself on another level you know um yeah. then it's not you don't and i'm and now i'm done <laughs> and then because then also you don't so easily get into opposition with yourself we meaning your own experience on reality which many people like to do then you have a different approach because you're not expecting that you're getting something bad but you're you know that you're cooperating with your higher self or with krishna conscious consciousness however you want to put it mm -hmm. Yes, and Krishna literally, what you just said, he literally says this to Arjuna. He says, Arjuna, if you allow the higher self to guide the lower self, if you're fixed in determination and have control of your senses and dedicate your work to me, surely you will achieve me. So how can we discern if someone's doing that or not? I mean, I guess I, in some way I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to be contrarian here. It seems I always am. Um yeah, there are so, certain qualities that people exhibit if they do that. They have sense control, they're compassionate, they're gentle, they're tolerant, they're also extremely focused, they're extremely, uh, they have a higher sense of purpose. Um, they're wouldn't that be spoken, set up like George clean. Soros? <laughs> or well, any, no, like, you he's know, they're not like, clean. I have a... he, he's very, you know, he's internally very messed up. Like, I mean, but you is look he just at him. practicing the will of Kali? This is where I get tripped out. I'm like, how functionally necessary are these things? He Am is, I just committing to a story in a dynamic, like from a polarity position? And then, you know, for example, like in Christianity, it's like, oh, chaos is bad. So the devil ran off and did his own thing. And that's not good. God's, you know, everything was divinely ordered. And then it kind of ruptured into a wild west. And I mean, that's coming from the position of the ordered light in that sense. So it's like darkness yeah, and yeah. chaos is bad. Whereas from another perspective, it's like, well, entropy is necessary for, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah, well, the way that work. we see it is that um, there's actually beautiful prayers by Queen Kunti where she tells Krishna, Krishna, my only wish is that you always put me in calamity because whenever I'm in distress, I always tend to remember you more. So true. So true. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, that sounds like the Jewish people. Like, so I so that's the purpose of the help. demons. The purpose of the demons is so that, and the people who we consider demoniac are so that we go, God, please help us. We cannot do this on our own. And so, you know, that. that so they're just doing their role. At some, this is where I get tricked out on how to operate with it. Am I supposed to condemn evil or am I supposed to accept it? How oh, does yeah. One, yeah. Reject you know, it, it. Destroy it. Because. Does it even Actually, exist? That kind because of evil is really like the demons are just people who are totally entranced by their own ego. They don't realize that they are also the divine truth. You know, they believe they actually consciously reject the Supreme's existence. So they're actually suffering the most. And so full sovereignty, I guess. To Krishna, I mean, every time Krishna killed a demon, he also liberated that demon. You would chop its head off and when doing that, be liberated from the bondage and be go straight back to the highest heavenly realm. 
would another yeah. demon be born in another way? Like, how does this equilibrium work? Yeah, well, or does it can, in the yuga kind of sine wave thing? Demon just means somebody who rejects the existence of the supreme, who thinks that I am the supreme, I'm the controller, I'm the enjoyer. That's a demon. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It can also be animals. It can also be even like great celestial beings. You know, they can be demons too. So. And, you know, you can, and there are people, for example, like you have here in Yakashipu, who's the king of the demons. He gave birth to a son who is actually a great devotee of the Lord. While he was born in a demon family, he exhibited great saintly qualities. So it's more so about character is than it is about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But so sometimes being analogy, redeemed like, means uh... to be killed because you're, they're actually being liberated from their own. Uh, well, we see that miserable conditions, right? When like a villain's like, "Fuck!" Uh, I'm trying to think of any good example. None are coming off the top of my head. Spider Man like, Two is what I think of. You have Doc Ock when when he gets like when he's about to die, he's about to sink into the ocean. He tells Spider, he thanks Spider Man. He's like, "Thank you." You know, I was miserable. Like, or in Dogma, that's what I was thinking of. Where like the you know Ben Affleck's going ape shit as this angel destroyer rebellious thing and be like, look, I don't believe in the Supreme's plan. I'm going to take this into my own hands. I have sovereignty. I'll enact justice in this way, right? This self righteous understood way out of the system. Alina Morissette ends up being God or whatever. But I don't know if you've yeah, seen Dogma. Yeah. But like right at the end, she's like Alina Morissette walks up to him. Spoiler, kids, uh, walks up to Ben Affleck and she's like, I'm going to annihilate you. Like you're going to cease to be, I guess. But he's just like, thank you. And then he like disappears. Like he doesn't want to be in that. So in that sense, I guess there's liberation. It's not what I would yep, call, yep. you know, <laughs> uh, redemption. I think a lot of people want redemption, or at least, I mean, coming from a Christian culture, I tend to. And it seems like it doesn't satiate the same way, but maybe annihilation is a form of redemption. I'm not sure. Well, you know, redemption implies that you're aware that I'm in a miserable position. Please help me. Like, please get me out. And then it's, the demons think, no, I am the best. They don't even realize it. They, they're like children. They don't even realize what they're doing is bad for them and others. So, but are they functionally necessary for the, for the script? I mean, that's where I get tripped out. I'm like, do we need, you know, uh, well, maybe Jim, idiots? Briefly, <laughs> I, I would say, and maybe Brandon, you can uh, elaborate on that, but I would say also with like Indra's net or the quantum theory of infinite realities, what we are talking about here ever is never the idea of, let's say, achieving an objective reality where this or that is occurring or is not occurring. It's always only about the individual navigation of reality within the infinity of possibilities. So I would say that, of course, all of these things functionally are necessary and everything exists somewhere, right? But the point is that depending on how we now consciously start to respond and all of these things we talk about here, to that degree, we can just choose in that sense what pocket of this infinite possibility and what channel we choose for ourselves. And then these still may, these things may still functionally exist, but they may transform greatly. So that meaning we do not need, you know, winter to be inventive anymore. We do not need a pain or suffering to be creative and insightful anymore. You know, there are different ways and the other things will still exist for some time also maybe somewhere where we can actually observe them within this reality certainly everything always exists somewhere but ultimately the point is what do you want to experience and you structure yourself and your consciousness and your relationship with everything and yourself accordingly 
Well, it seems Brendan was kind of getting at the idea that we are incapable of having – we need outside help to be sovereign actually, that we tend to delude ourselves. And if you want to look at like you know a, a Luciferian fall or whatever, but um, like we tend to think – it's weird. It's like the we, we delude ourselves into certain things and then – like just like dogma he's like well i'm gonna take the situation by the you know i'm gonna be sovereign and it was like false sovereignty uh it led to other character developments story arcs that were good i guess you could say that's why i'm like is it necessary for the tension of reality like yeah yeah well it's um, important to understand we got to the deluded state because of our outside influences yes the classic saying like we are you are basically the summation of the five people you spend the most time with so the same way that we became deluded is the same way that we become liberated. We were associating with people with information giving us the wrong idea of ourselves. So now we need to turn to the one that it is in line with our actual identity. So that's the whole idea. You know, it's the, the poison is the cure, just like someone who has jaundice, right? Um, you just keep eating sugar. Right now, it's all going to taste bitter at the beginning. But if you just keep eating sugar, eventually it'll cure you and you'll be able to taste the sweetness again. This is a rant, a, a weird trip we're on, folks. I mean, that's all I could say. Where, I mean, it, it's crazy. But then I, I mean, I'm just trying to be logical about it. But I guess there's, I have to submit to the mystery of life at some level and be like, look, I can't just put it all in a graph and say, there it is. Like, yeah, I don't Bhakti think it is the greatest mystery. If we just fo uh, follow the injunction, if we follow the instruction, then we'll be given the, in, the internally, we'll be given the intelligence to understand completely. What's the injunction? The injunction is vibrate the absolute truth, actually, you know, resonate with the absolute truth, chant, sing, dance, um, and always remember Krishna. That's the injunction. So, ironically, you know, it's like you'll find your true sovereignty when you submit to the level of embeddedness in hierarchy super hierarchy or however one wants to look at this. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah exactly just like you know if you want to get that promotion dude you got to talk to the boss like you can't just be like i'm i deserve a promotion okay i'm giving myself a promotion everyone look at you like uh hello <laughs> are you okay like <laughs> just what's so incredibly interesting to me is that both within the one may say law of bashar and probably many other, you know, spiritual systems or religions, if properly understood, and very much also what you talk about in terms of Krishna, all that those systems, and again, there are many caveats, many things not to misinterpret, many things to decondition yourself from, we've been discussing that. However, on the very simple level, all that they're asking you to do is enjoy yourself in a conscious manner. And then I'm thinking to myself, so like, wow. I mean, that totally makes sense. I mean, this, this may sound like a life that I'm actually signing up for, you know? And then it's just amazing to see how much individuals are struggling with even grokking the validity of that very basic perspective and principle of relating to life. It's just astounding. I mean, well, we I can, can relate. Yes, right? <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. you know, swim in this I direction mean, sure. and don't, don't drown and swim in that direction. It's like it's really easy when the water's calm. But if you're dealing with tsunamis and shit, it's like, well, it's a lot harder to do it. <laughs> well, Brandon, <laughs> I don't know.
He's metaphysically zapped out. Yeah, but here he is again. He's ascended. Dude, I just like click something and it made me go away. I don't know. That's probably the works. that's literally probably the real Genesis story. Some like higher crush is like, dude, I just click something and now there's a universe with like suffering. <laughs> there it is. I guess I'll uh, blow a whistle or a flute or whatever. Um, I don't know the analogy I was just using because Rafael was like, this should be so easy, it's so obvious. I'm like, I think the precept is obvious. So it's like swim in, you know, swim towards north and grab that buoy and don't drown. And it's easy when it's like calm water, but when you put like hungry sharks and tsunamis in it, like a yuga, like a kali yuga, it's like yeah, it makes it a little more. That's I mean, always it's the how same I felt about uh, athletics. Like I'm a big runner. I love like running on track and cross country. You'll watch like a world record like runner, and you're like, oh, dude, he's making it look so easy. I could do that. And then you get on the track, and you're like, crap. Like it's actually, it's actually a little tougher than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the fun in it. That's that's what makes it fun. Overcoming your overcoming your uh what appears to be weaknesses for you. It's perceived obstacles. Yeah. And I Absolutely. guess that's the enlightenment thing where you just start becoming okay with it all at a level. That's where I find the hardest part of the tension, the both end of it. It's like it's not it's a struggle within a distorted polarity and yet it's a okay. Yeah, you become more okay with it when you have the right knowledge. The right knowledge is is that this world's temporary. So while it may, you know, seem very unpalatable at the moment, it's going to change. And even if it is very palatable and enjoyable, it too also will change. So we should remain indifferent in either circumstance. Maybe that's the highest level of sovereignty there is. Just kind of, yeah, and, yeah. you know, enjoying the ride and, and yeah. taking what comes, I guess. Absolutely. But also, how, how do you look at, I mean, we're kind of running out of time here, but how do you look at manifestation within that framework? Like, is it just a matter of like submitting your hopes to the greater dream, I guess? Yeah, so according to the scripture, anything that we do dedicated to the supreme, that's a lasting activity. So when Krishna actually came onto the earth, all the activities that he did and everything that he did is permanent. It's permanently the where he touched his feet on the ground, that's considered holy ground, charged forever. Okay, but mundane things, they don't last, they go away. So the more that we dedicate our life to spiritual activity, the more lasting it'll become. And then that's 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 permanent manifestation. But then other things like I want a lot of money, I want cars, etc. You know, those things will go away when the body goes away. So those are things that a less intelligent man strives for. We shouldn't strive for the permanent things. Is there a way for reality to flip from impermanent to permanent much in the same way this is, you know, the Hollywood Walk of Fame where Krishna stepped? Yes, it has thing. to be Krishnaized. So it requires the touch of the Supreme. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical touch. You know, but his name and himself are not different. So any place where Krishna is spoken about, that's considered a place of pilgrimage, a holy place. So uh, all that has to be done is the Supreme has to be invoked. And that turns impermanent things into permanent things. Fascinating. Uh, maybe there's a dimension in this So, like, this talk universe. show will now be permanent in the universe forever. Because you said Krishna once? Yes, because we talk about Krishna. Absolutely. And Raphael said it, too. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is where I get weird with postmodern kind of relativism. Where I was like, is Krishna the same thing as Jesus, and we're just misinterpreting this? Or no, he's, he's one of his empowered representatives. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me, clearly differentiating himself from the Father. And Krishna says, I am the seed-giving Father of every living entity. So it's very, very. Oh, that clear. sounds pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he, it's very, very clear. You know, God, he's even, or Christ even said multiple times, do not worship me for I only serve the Father. So where the Christians get this idea that Jesus is God, they just made that up. I don't know where they get that from. Um, well, I don't well, know. Yeah. <laughs> in Sunday school out the window once again, but you know, it's what we used to hear, so it's all good. Dude, I, was, I asked that question so many times in Sunday school, man. Like... Well, I thought he said stuff like I and the Father are one and stuff like that. But then again, yeah, he said I and the, the Father are one just as you and the brother are one. He wasn't saying that you two are the same person. Like you're you know, in a relationship at some yeah, level. Yeah, y'all, we are one, meaning we are in oneness. We are just like you if you're dancing with your partner. Y'all are one, you're on y'all a like football one team. Woman, but <laughs> it's like, we're on the same team. <laughs> right. Uh, interesting stuff. I love having you on here, Brendan. We got to get you on here again. I don't know what happened to Anders. Uh, hopefully he's doing all right. <laughs> uh, thanks, Anders, for making an appearance. Um, Absolutely. We'll have to figure out what's going on with Anders' mic because every time he was talking about frequency is the last thing um, and resonance, and it seems like he's always feeding back in a very like this is about to feedback way, and it never totally does. Um, but yeah, dude, I appreciate you coming on. It's always fun because yeah, it's fun talking to somebody who knows a lot about what they love. And it was obvious that you were very into Krishna, very into the Bhagavad Gita, however one pronounces that. I butchered every time. Um, yeah, Bhagavad Gita. So, there you go. So easy. And yet, I will still not get it right. Uh, I have my Chiron in Gemini with my Sun and Moon, so it's like, I can't speak clearly. Welcome to Yeah, 3D fucking lame school sometimes, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's a privilege to talk to you guys today. I really did appreciate it. And I guess... My hope, I guess, is not to get stuck in one of those schools, whether it's a Carmi uh, or whatever. I feel like I've been kind of pursuing things intellectually for a long time, and now I'm having a kind of – I mean, this is the whole Christian thing. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's like there's a mystery here. I can't figure it out. Like there's many schematics yeah, holographically, yeah. and it'll Let drive it descend. me nuts. Just, just receive. Be happy. Chant Hare Krishna. Just chill and be Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. I'll even say it, Hari Krishna. So hopefully, Raphael, you got any parting thoughts? Hari Krishna. Well, dang, I guess we're all in the in the sitch. Dude, yeah, Brendan, thanks for coming on and giving us your time. We'll have to get you back on. I hope everybody enjoyed this foray into cognitive dissonance in and out. There I'm back again, a cognitive dissonant Gemini's journey or whatever. Uh, thanks for holding the space, guys. Yes, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Raf. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Jim. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy yourselves. Radio Radio Pokey Talk, 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 Talk,